Welcome to the Legacy Leaders Podcast. Are you doing the best for your client to help them create their legacy? Are you creating a plan that goes far beyond finances to help people ensure that it becomes the driving force behind all decisions? On this podcast, hosts Katie Beth Hand and Stan Miller will help you with growing your practice and your client's peace of mind. Together, they bring the best and brightest minds to share with you how to help your clients develop their best legacy. And now, here are your hosts, Katie Beth and Stan. Welcome to the Legacy Leaders Podcast. We're your hosts, Stan Miller and Katie Beth Hand. Our guest today is financial advisor and wealth management expert, Gary Goldberg. Gary, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. So, Gary, before we jump in, I was hoping you would take just a couple of minutes and talk to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your background and how you got started in this industry. My background is so varied, it would take a couple of few hours, but I'll try to make it succinct for you on this, on this taping. My father was an Air Force fighter pilot, World War II. He was shot down behind enemy lines. And fortunately, through the years, uh, now of course, he survived because otherwise I wouldn't be here right now. I actually met the savior of my father, which was pretty cool news, many, many years ago. My dad and my mother, having gone through a pretty awful bankruptcy session with a failed restaurant that my mother had, I was part of and I'd sold my interest. So I actually helped my parents get out of bankruptcy and assist my parents through a successful retirement. My dad passed about 10 years ago and my mother is still thriving. And that rewarding a feeling, the gratification that I felt with helping my dad in those early years assisted me with what I would like to do with my life, which is to assist people to help them retire younger, richer, with less anxiety. And that's what I do. I had also sold a, a restaurant that I had owned at that time, a different restaurant. And I bought it for like nothing and sold it for a large amount of money because a very large video company, which is no longer around, bought my property and made me a very wealthy guy. So I didn't really want anyone else handling my financial affairs because the guys I had had prior were doing what I suggested. And the only way I was making money was by them doing what I said. So I thought, well, join them. So here I am 30 some odd years later. That's fantastic. And I will dive a little bit deeper into exactly what you do. But before we do that, one of the things that I love that you put right up at the top of your website is that you say that you are a firm believer that everybody should have the opportunity to pursue financial freedom. So talk to us a little bit about what is unique about what you do and your services and what's unique about how you care for your clients. You know, I suppose financial advisors in the scheme of things, they're a dime a dozen. They're everywhere from the banks to individuals working for large companies, small companies, independent such as myself or people who are captive. And I've always known that I had to be unique and different to stand out. My compassion is probably my biggest character trait and flaw because I really take serious every single person that comes across my view. When people come in with any kind of a problem, and it doesn't have to do with financial, the first thought in my brain is, how can I help? What can I suggest? I'm always trying to assist. It doesn't matter if someone got pulled over by a cop and they have a problem, what do they do? And I said, well, maybe if you had, and I explained. So I carry that forward into my financial planning idea. And that really stemmed from one of my earlier clients. She's been with me for close to 30 years now. And they came from nominal means. 
she became a part owner of this company that became a very, very profitable. I had to put together $100,000 for her to buy out as a management buyout of this organization. If you knew the organization that owned them, it's very popular. Everyone knows the name. It's a street name. And when they bought that out, eventually that turned into $21 million. So $100,000 in about three years turned into $21 million. And that, is, that was an astounding fact. I learned a lesson with that particular episode, that particular client and best of friends with me now, that you treat everyone like a super millionaire. You treat everyone with the same dignity because they all aspire to retire, you know, richer and, and younger with less anxiety. And these people came from nominal means. They're really no different now than they were when I first met them. They just happen to be, you know, much more wealthy. And, and I've learned you treat everyone the same way. And I like bringing that high, I guess you'd call it high class service to everyone, uh, to the commoners. And I, I, I specify uh, working with uh, small business owners who are gay, lesbian, transgender, et cetera, as I say, and marginalized people such as women, divorcees, and all that. I, I, I do very well with that group. Not that I'll turn anyone away, really. You got a dollar, come on in. Yes, and that was one of the questions I had for you because you mentioned on your website that you're very passionate about working with people who tend to be overlooked by the financial services industry. And with that, another thing I wanted to ask you about was, it says that on your website, you also do seminars and things. Talk to us a little bit about the topics that you cover, who the seminars are for, that type of thing. Well, I kind of narrowed down my niche through some training over the last few years during COVID. I didn't have that much to do, so I wasn't allowed to do many seminars during the time. I'm stationed here in Illinois, but I have a branch office down in St. Petersburg, Florida. So we're talking night and day difference between rules of uh, marketing, advertising, and meeting people. So I haven't done any actual seminars in a few years now here based in Illinois. And I learned that there are so many marginalized people that just, they don't know where to turn. And so many of my friends being gay, lesbian, et cetera, as I say, the alphabet suit, they didn't really know how to handle things back before, you know, same-sex marriage was legalized or at least authorized by the feds and even through the states. So, I used to work with people who were partners and their unique situation was that unique. So it was like, okay, I'm helping in that situation. It still is a need out there for gay married couples or even if they're just together. It takes a unique experience that I possess for 20 some odd years of working in that area. And, uh, you know, you don't have to be gay to get my services. It's okay. <laughs> so, I don't mind. Seminars, on the other hand, I've been a little difficult. I'm not in for the dinner seminar type scenario because I'm in the demographic receiving those invitations in the mail and they all personally stink. It's like canned information to sell you something. I've done classroom instruction at universities around here, University of Southern Illinois. I've done Maryville University over in St. Louis University. And I've done classes on retirement planning, which is uh, typically a two session event two Tuesday evenings or two Saturday mornings. And those have worked very, very well when it comes to the seminars for the general public. Perfect. Stan, I know you have lots of questions for Gary. Why don't you jump in with a question? Yeah. I'm curious, Gary, in representing a clientele as gay and lesbian, what are some of the interesting, maybe unique challenges that you have with that audience? It's evolved. It did, of course, start out when 
same-sex marriage wasn't even allowed. So therefore, holding assets together in a two guys or two women who are together and the uniqueness of how to handle that, how to make beneficiary designations. I mean, it was even so bad that if one were in the hospital, their other spouse, if they were married in, let's say, Iowa, free uh, Supreme Court decision, that they couldn't even visit their sick spouse in the hospital. So when it comes to finances and estate planning, like how do you leave your assets? What is your legacy for a gay and lesbian couple? And it's a little bit more difficult because not everyone still accepts that. It may be legal now. We may have the legal documentation now. But when it comes to structuring it properly so the rest of the family or their heirs, you know, there are a lot of uh, married couples have children these days adopted or through their own means. So legacy planning and financial planning are paramount in their brains. They just, I think probably that one of the bigger problems seems to be that these people don't really know who to talk to because they're a little embarrassed or they don't know who they can open up to. So I think I have a unique situation there that I can relate because, well, I'm married to a guy. So it, it, I'm there. I understand the needs, wants, desires, and people can come talking to me uh, quite easily. So you've been at this a while. I'm curious if you actually, at the ground level, you actually run into these kind of problems where there's been a real barrier where somebody, for example, was in the hospital and and their significant other was pushed out the door and told they couldn't come in. And those, have you had those kinds of things happen? Well, yes. Over you know my thirty some odd year career, yes. And it's both friends. It was not in my own situation, but with some acquaintances and friends and stories that I've heard from some of these people, it, it was tough. Actually, in another sense, I did have a personal issue. A person I was dating at that time had been taken to the emergency room and was in the intensive care. Nobody came to visit him. No family, nobody would care because he was gay. I showed up and by a stroke of luck, the head nurse on the floor, intensive care, she knew me from my church here in town and she let me in. And I actually saved his life because they had him on an IV. He was allergic to soy, anything to do with soy, which is a lot of foods when you think about it. And while I'm standing there or watching over him, you know, watching everything on the news that there was to do and on my computer, you know, just sitting by his side, he was knocked out with propofol, which is the Michael Jackson drug, the sedative, because he had a, a breathing tube and he had his arms strapped down. And I'm reading everything in the world about propofol. And I'm now an expert on my own right. I'm Googled everything to do with propofol. And one of the last things I did was look at the ingredients of propofol. And the reason I knew it was propofol, because it was on that little monitor thing, you know, which was feeding into his IV. And I looked at the ingredients and it was 20% soy. And I got to think, I said, this isn't right. So I called, the, this was the night nurse. I said, listen, I don't want a medical MDU and, you know, from a WebMD type thing. I said, but here's what I found. Maybe you should check this out. Nobody had told him. He could have died. If, because they're feeding him the poison that was coming. So, uh, yeah. And it was a stroke of luck that I always happened to be in that room. Yeah. Are there any approaches that you take with this community that are different than you would take with uh, heterosexual couples? Any strategies, techniques, tools? I don't think it's really unique strategy and tools because the things we use are the same things that you know, attorneys use. It doesn't matter what your proclivity is to be gay or straight. doesn't really matter. It's more of wrapping their head around the availability that, hey, you're a gay couple who are married. You've been married for five years or three years or two years. You're somewhat new. 
how does all this work? And it's, it's interesting that they still have their assets still individualized. They're hardly any, they don't quite know how to do it. I guess you'd call it the old-fashioned heterosexual way, which is really no different even if you're married gay. So it's more the attitude and the way I operate as opposed to anything specific plan or technique or tool. Okay. I'm curious, you know, guys have been at this a while. They're really good at it. And I think you have been at it a while, and I'm really convinced that you're really good at it. Have some ways of relating to clients, ways of interacting with clients that are kind of your your go-tos that really create the opportunity for you to connect with clients in a really authentic way. I'm curious what you could share with us about how you do that, if you can. Yeah. That's like asking an actor, well, what did you do to win the Academy Award for Best Actor in this movie? Yeah. Maybe you meditate before client meetings. I don't know what it is, you know, but- I'm not that unique. (laughs) What I've, in seriousness, which is hard to come by with me, I'm actually a funny person and I've tried to make financial planning and legacy planning humorous because this stuff is right. How can you talk about a living trust or a living will or a variable annuity or a mutual fund or this particular stock and be different than the other guy? You know, so it's tough. So I think it's trying to be compassionate and being realistic with people and having a little bit of fun with it as opposed to just being dry and boring. I try never to bore anybody when I'm speaking to them, whether it be in a public situation of a seminar or one-on-one at my conference table. You know, I lighten it up and you know, I talk about death a lot. Well, why? My kids think it's kind of creepy. You're always talking about death. I said, well, you know, it's called planning. If you're planning to do something this weekend for my daughter's 30th birthday Saturday, well, we're planning. What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? What are we going to eat? What are we not going to eat? You know, that sort of thing. So, Planning for your death, I mean, it's more fun to plan for a birthday, but you know what? You'll have more birthdays. You only have one death. Yeah, that's. I would say that's absolutely something that we deal with too, being in estate planning. A lot of things we talk about, what we are planning for is eventually planning for, hey, what's going to happen when you die? And it's coming. It's coming for all of us. And so we have that same strategy as well. I definitely see your humor and your charisma and how that comes out as you interact with your clients. and. We try to explain that, you know, being mindful about planning these things and planning for your funeral and having a good sense of humor and and bringing some fun and life and joy into it, it doesn't have to be dreary. I know it seems dreary to say, let's sit down and plan your funeral and really talk about what you want that to mean to you. But some of the most meaningful conversations I've had with our clients have been conversations where we sit down and we talk about their funeral and what they want and what they don't want. And there are horror stories about a funeral they attended and how they don't want anything like that. And so, you know, I'm just like you, I think having a great sense of humor about it and I'm just really listening to your client is the the number one way to make a dreary topic and take it and lighten it up. So I love that. And I can see that in your personality, Gary. I can see. I think we could have a lot of fun talking about all of the things that other people might think are dreary. Yeah, <laughs> Let's have fun talking about death. Yeah, sure. Now, there are times, there's appropriate times to be in the serious note. That's okay. We all know that. And I may push the envelope a little bit, but I learned this eons ago, which was the theory about uh, humor is easier to remember things such as, can you name four of the Supreme Court justices? Can you name the three stooges? So you probably can name the three stooges, almost anyone maybe who's probably over 30, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah. 
And but Supreme Court justices, other than common, you know, late news, that's dry and boring. People can't name them, not even all of the nine. And yet we know the three stooges because they make us laugh. Right. And we find that more interesting, right? Your average person on the street would rather watch the Three Stooges than watch the Supreme Court. That's a given. That's a given. So to switch gears just a little bit, you mentioned your kids earlier. You're a father of three. So if you could give your kids one piece of advice that you have learned from all of your years in the business, what would that piece of advice be? One piece of advice would be nearly impossible. So I would in the 30-ish years that they've been around, and they're all adopted, by the way. They're all South American adopted. And I do have one grandbaby, and they happen to live the youngest daughter. My granddaughter lived with us, taking good care of her. She's going to be six in about a month from yesterday. So the one bit of advice would be always listen to your father, number one. And then because in the past 15 or 20 years since they've been around, They've been listening to my advice all along because I'll explain things at home. And I tell you what, we have some sessions there with kids, friends, when we're having a nice, easy time and I'm bringing up some sort of news event and how like stock market gyrations and Bitcoin and all the current topics. And I'm just standing at my kitchen counter. I actually have a, a mat on the floor where I stand. It seems to be that's the Gary spot because I'm now preaching to the, my choir of my kids. And uh, multiple advice is basically starts with when you start working, whenever you start working, pay yourself first. That's where it begins. I love it. A wise nugget of wisdom right there. So next question, and this is a big one. Let's talk about your death, Gary, one of our favorite topics. No, but through the work that you are doing with everything that you do in your career, and then also as a husband and a father, one day when you are gone, what legacy do you hope to leave? I've thought about that a lot, especially lately as a legacy leader now in the last few months. And it's daunting. I don't want to sound you know, egotistical or whatever. It's like, you know, what am I going to leave? What kind of mark? I just, I would really hope my dying breath or my dying last thought would be that I've last a legacy of people to re- at least remember me. And what good I have done for you in your specific situation that I've helped an awful lot of people from adopting the three kids for that matter is one. I've bailed people out of jail from traffic violations. I have saved people thousands and thousands of college financial aid or obtained that, I should say. I've just met a lady friend of mine from church Sunday and she thanks me every single time. I got them $120,000 extra in financial aid for free at the top choice school for her daughter, who's now married, and she is a graphic designer making all kinds of money, and, and she always thanks me. Every time I see her in church, Gary, but weren't for you, da, da, da. And my dying breath would be, just remember, you know, it's, you don't have to remember by name. They say, oh, yeah, that guy with that cool hair and those weird glasses, yeah, he <laughs> helped us through college, right? He helped us through retirement, so we didn't have to worry about where the money was. At least we know what to do to make sure we will have enough money to last our lifetime. We may not like it. The number may be lower because we didn't see Gary soon enough. Like, hello, McFly, get to see me now. Don't wait until you think you're rich. Yeah, and that's another nugget of wisdom that I feel like people tend, people who don't have a strong financial background maybe didn't get a lot of wisdom on finances from their parents. They think they need to wait until they are getting close to retirement age and have something, you know, 
worth investing or worth saving to talk to a a financial advisor. And what you just said was the opposite of that. Get started young, start paying yourself first, see a financial advisor when you're still young, because it's all about planning. It's all about planning. All planning. I had a small group that we're down in the Virgin Islands at this uh, for a remote wedding of a couple of girlfriends of ours. I actually performed the ceremony. My husband was the best man or whatever he's called. And one of our friends who I had never met before until we were down there, he was asking, we're comparing notes. What do you do for a living? And I said, well, typically my clients are about 50 years old, 50 to 75. You know, age is not a biggie and you know, assets are not an issue either. And he said, well, I guess I'll see you in a couple of years. I looked at him and said, so you're 48? He said, yeah. I said, well, you don't have to wait till you're 50 to come in and see me. I was like, come on and see me now because what you've explained to me, you need some work. Right. Right. I love that. And back to your legacy. I, I love the idea of the legacy that you're leaving just in the impact, the small things that you are doing in people's lives that change the trajectory of where they're headed, whether that's retirement or paying for college or bailing them out of jail is certainly one as well. But it certainly seems like you are doing a great job as a legacy leader, um, doing those things to doing your small part to really help others. So I love that. Is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you would like for our listeners to know? It's not always about necessarily the numbers. It's the numbers are important. So for retirement planning and legacy planning, it's more of the mindset. It's more of making sure your brain is at ease. And I feel being uh, getting it, my prospects into clients and the clients having that peace of mind of knowing this is what you need to do. This is what they're doing. They're on track for it. So it's more of a mind situation, attitude situation. It's not always just the numbers. The numbers are okay and those are required, but it's not just the numbers. I, and that's one of the first things I try to instill upon my clients and prospects turning into clients is get your brain in this game. It's when I explain something, understand the concept, not necessarily the numbers. We'll get to the numbers, but here's the concept first. Get your brain in there. I love that. I love that. A wise nugget of wisdom. Well, thank you so much for listening. This has been the Legacy Leaders Podcast with your hosts, Stan Miller and Katie Beth Hand. Our guest today was Gary Goldberg. To find out more about Gary and the work that he does, visit checkwithgary.com. That is checkwithgary.com. Gary, thank you so much for being on the show. We really enjoyed it. My pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to the Legacy Leaders Podcast with Katie Beth Hand and Stan Miller. For more information on them and the show, please visit PinnacleLegacyLaw.com. If you like what you've learned today, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.